we were at a church yes. and people came forward to give their hearts to Jesus or whatever it was. They, it was people were responding and hopefully they were responding right. And other people were clapping and Ray told them to stop clapping. He says, I don't applaud when I plant a fruit tree. I applaud when the fruit tree brings forth fruit. Why don't we save our applause until they start bearing fruit worthy of repentance? Ray, I have a confession to make. I need to tell you something that I've never told you in my life. But I believe you to be perhaps the worst actor that has ever, ever lived on the face of the earth. I absolutely agree with you. And I remember a time when we were doing a, a shoot with Kirk and I was a cowboy and I was going to be shot by Kirk. He was going to come along the street in a horse and that. And our director, Dwayne, came up to me and he says, squint your eyes. And I couldn't do it. He said, now like this, squint your eyes. And, da, da, da. and he had to physically show me how to look because I just can't act. Yeah, and you've played a number of different characters. You were a cowboy. You were a bank robber. And also, Kirk and I were talking about a tank that was coming up behind us. I don't oh, know how you I were, yes. You were like a, a rich dude on a beach. Yeah, I don't know how I managed to do that. I'm believing for another Lamborghini. That's right. And I don't know how I, I was able to, I thank God I was able to bluff it and make it work out. Yeah. You were also a, a skydiver thrown out of a plane. Yes. Yeah. Ray, you're so bad. And you're so bad. And was he a criminal? Did you cover the criminal? Yeah, yeah. Bank robber. Bank robber. Okay. Yeah. But anytime you're trying to act, like to deceive someone... Oh, please, or, this is very personal. The nostril no. flare. <laughs> the nostril flare of destruction. This is so embarrassing. Yeah. You don't do you have a tell? A, you a don't tell? even see his face anymore. His nostril flare. <laughs> Seriously, I do. It just starts sucking you and in. Sue, my, my wife, confirms it. She says, yeah. I can tell something's Rachel's up. Rachel's a very... My wife, your daughter, is a very bad actress, too. She can't do it. I often tell her to lie to people. She just doesn't know how to do it. I'm actually really talented. I have convinced all of you that I enjoy your presence. Yeah, Einstein was the same. Okay, let's just yeah. move on. No, this is, hey, this is relevant. We're talking today about actors, imposters, oh. false conviction. This is a foreign concept to a lot of believers. In fact, there are pastors that would take offense to even suggesting that someone could be a false convert. Well, I think there's one among the four of us because I've looked at my notes and somebody has typed something into my notes that wasn't there. It's foreign to me. I'm going to read it to you. I, let's see if we can figure out who it is. It says, talk about how buff Oscar is. That's on the top of my notes. Really? Yeah, I didn't put it there. So obviously, someone, How did that get there? Yeah, someone deceitful. I don't know your passcode. Hmm. <laughs> talk about false things. But, Ray, this has been something that We've touched on in bits and pieces throughout our different podcasts, but today we want to really hone in on it because it's very important, it's very neglected, and it's very dangerous for the church. And so why don't you start out talking about this? I mean, when you were, I know that way back when, when you first started in ministry, you were a new believer, you used to preach a modern gospel. Back in that time, did you ever even have the notion of false conversion or... What were your thoughts on it? I had no idea at all until I heard a series called The Parable of the Sower by a guy named Dr. Al Martin. A.N. Martin? A.N. Martin. And he was incredibly laborious, just totally different in character than me. He would go over and over. Each time it was a series of six audio tapes. So circumlocutory and circuitous. That's exactly what I was saying. He would just keep repeating it. 
the, what we'd learned in the previous tape. And it grilled into me that there was such a thing as false conversion. It was a great foundation for probably about six years later, I think, I discovered uh, Hell's Best Kept Secret, which dovetailed into true and false conversion. And that is the parable of the sower talks of true and false conversion, spurious conversion, the stony ground hearer, the thorny ground hearer, the good soil hearer, and the whatever other hearer, uh, wayside hearer. <laughs> I've got four points to make. That's I'll never, I'll never forget these points. Oh, yeah. And uh, so our churches are filled with wheat among the tears, foolish virgins among the wise, bad fish among the good, goats among the sheep, because we've opened up the straight gate and said it's easy to become a Christian. Just ask Jesus into your heart, which has no, no biblical precedent for it whatsoever. The Bible says straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And Jesus said strive to enter at the straight gate. That word strive, and I'm going to, really wrecked this Greek word, agonosomai. How do you say easy? What's the Latin, Greek, whatever it is? I have no idea. Todd Friel corrected me in my pronunciation, but I just, I'm stuck there. Agonosomai, the word from which we derive our word agonize. So Jesus said, agonize to get in. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. That's the way of salvation, true contrition. When David was exposed in his sins, he didn't say, oh, never mind, just let's move on. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of ten of mercies, blot out my transgression. So genuine salvation comes through godly sorrow, which works repentance under salvation. And that's what's missing because we don't preach the fear of the law. We don't preach the wrath of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the law of God from pulpits. It's just ask Jesus into your heart, you'll fix your marriage and fill your God-shaped vacuum. So people come to God with wrong motives. They don't genuinely repent, place their faith in Christ. And so therefore, they'll take upon themselves the title Christian, but they have not been regenerated, right? I mean, and, that's what you're getting at. And they're the ones that become what we erroneously call bitter backsliders. They're not backsliders. They didn't slide forward in the first place. They're like dogs that return to their vomit. They can't stay away from sin. They're like the pig that wallows in the mire. A pig doesn't wallow in the mire uh, because it's a dirty animal. It wallows in the filth because it wants to cool his flesh. And when someone makes a false profession, there's no genuine contrition, no genuine repentance. They hang on to their sins and they have to cool that flesh, which has never been crucified with Christ. They have to go back to the world. Mark, being that you currently are a false convert, um, <laughs> can you give yes, us... Yes, we deliberately have an example of one in here today. Tell us can about yourself, Can you give yourself, us some Mark. insights, oh, Mark? Oh, boy. People are going to think we pick on Mark when it's the exact opposite. Mark oh, is yeah. the ultimate picker He plays the innocent one during the podcast, if only Honestly, they knew. he just added a bunch of weird notes to Ray's thing, and now I'm getting accused of it. Yeah. So you put that on the... <laughs> He's an interloper. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark, them that cause division. That Scripture talks be, uh, about another accuser of the brethren. Uh, Mark Talbot, in his book, The Signs of True Conversion, on page 28, he says, American Christianity tends toward a kind of easy believism. The gospel is often presented in a way that suggests that someone is saved as soon as he or she has accepted Jesus as Savior. Even if that acceptance never manifests itself in the emotional and volitional recentering of the person's entire life. But this is actually the paradigm of the sort of dead and fruitless faith that the whole New Testament condemns. When somebody becomes a Christian, it naturally carries out into a place that reflects the true character of 
God. We will begin to hate the things we once loved and will love the things we once hated. If somebody is living a secret life, it really is no secret because every secret sin is an open scandal in heaven. God sees everything, right? Every idle word a man speaks, everything he's ever done in darkness is made manifest in the light. We see within the easy believism of American evangelicalism, Christianity, this idea where no life is going to change. There's no, nothing is going to be different than the way I previously was. I will go to church perhaps on uh, Sundays or a midweek Bible study. I'll read the verse of the day, but there is no inward change or inward yearning for the things of Christ. So the New Testament, it condemns this whole idea of easy believism because there is a radical call to uh, take up your cross, to follow him, and to count the cost. I mean, by the way some pastors, preachers, churches approach it, you would think that Jesus would have never uttered words like that. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, there's such a luxury-driven perspective on being a Christian. That's why, like I've said here before, I hate the prosperity gospel with a passion because it it deceives You mentioned a book to me the other day that you don't want to recommend anymore because the author was uh, denounced his faith, turned out to be a a false convert. And so I'm bringing this up because we're talking about easy believism, but what about those who seem to as earnestly yearn for righteousness, like that gentleman, who spent a significant amount of time pursuing that, who would look and go, man, I was as, as, as authentic as I tried to be. I really thought I believed it. I was pursuing it in a way that I thought was right. And they would look and say, why didn't God reveal himself to me if he says that those who seek after him will find me. What would you say, because we're talking about easy believism, but but there are also those examples in the church of people who seem to have really taken it seriously and still show up to be false converts. What would you say to that? I would say, you know, Judas was a real person. Oh, easy. Thunder stealer. That is just, I had a whole spiel that was going to go on for two hours. It's just gone <laughs> poof. You know what, Ray? Because I'm such a humble, generous, kind-hearted person, I won't let you say it. Okay, go so ahead. So let me. No, go ahead, Ray. I no, want to no, 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 Judas died thirsty next to the well of salvation, and it's been said there's no greater tragedy than to be almost saved, because to be almost saved is to be entirely lost. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they never would have left. Oh, Judas hit it so well. You know, I remember uh, an, an atheist who has done tremendous damage. He's the leader of the Freedom from Religion Incorporated. He he, he wrote songs for, what, 19 years? What's his name? Yeah, Dan Barker. Oh, yeah. He wrote songs for Jesus. He's still getting royalties from oh. his song. And once we clashed, this is about 20-something years ago, where he wrote to me and we had a little sword fight, and uh, he said, I was a Christian for 19 years. I said to him, Judas only lasted three and a half years. You oh. last a, and he... <laughs> He sent a threat back to me saying if I ever contacted him ever again, he would make sure I'd get taken off the internet. And I was and didn't understand the internet back then and, and, and email, etc. But we did get on Todd Friel's program. He didn't know I was another guest and I got to talk to him on Todd's program once. That's the damage that comes through false converts. Their latter end becomes worse than the first. And uh, Mark brought up the thought of secret before. There's no such thing as a secret. Nobody has a secret. All things lie open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And when you understand that, there's nothing you can hide from God. 
Think of Judas. He sat at the feet of Jesus. He was there for the Sermon on the Mount. He heard, love your enemies, do good to those that despitefully use you, and all these incredible things. He was at the Last Supper, and still he betrayed him because he had a love for money, and it was hidden in his heart. And the other disciples didn't suspect him for a second. He was the treasurer. When he went out to betray Jesus, they thought he'd gone to give money to the poor. And so a false convert hides it well, but Basically, he's a hypocrite, and we've got people like that within our pulpits now. And so we shouldn't be surprised when they get exposed. And thank God they get exposed before the day of judgment. We've had a number of pastors reach out to us and say, I was a pastor and I wasn't born again. I mean, Todd Friel was in seminary and he wasn't saved. There's a a brother that I love dearly who's very close to me, and he planted a church. And then I gave him Hell's Best Kept Secret after he told me his church was going to be based on fellowship, friendship, finance— and uh, some other F, I can't remember. This four was this four? Yeah, fellowship, friendship, finance, fitness. Right? I think fitness was fitness. one of them. So I'm like, all right, Dallas or Houston. <laughs> Dallas, Houston, we have a problem. So I gave him Hell's Best Kept Secret. He heard it, got born again, and now is a sound pastor who's, who's leading a, a, just a wonderful church. So yeah, and stop everything. Someone else has got to my notes down here. It says, mention Oscar's great hair. <laughs> Who's getting into your notes? Are you serious? Spence, that's, you're the closest to me. Get away from my notes. This is, you didn't do it? Oscar did it. You did, did you, did you? <laughs> Oscar, you got over here and did it. Go All right, so Oscar, you pose a great question. Ray, Ray answered it very well, but just a few thoughts. Some of the most passionate people that, that I knew, and I was remind everyone, Mark and I pastored together years ago, but some of the most passionate people that were a part of our church ended up becoming the most vile and denying Christ. And But these were the people that would, one of them preached a sermon one time on just the love of God. It, it was so amazingly profound. Others, you know, they would take homeless people into their home and people off the streets. And, and I mean, some of these guys have degrees in theology, biblical studies, and they ended up just completely going hardcore into the world. So I think it goes back to the parable of, of the, the soils, if you would, and the fact that they were never truly the seed planted on good soil. They were never born again. And I've seen some of these guys— And that takes a miracle. Yeah, it's, it's a miracle of regeneration. But I've seen some of these guys— after they had gone into the world, and it just be, in some cases it became evident that to some of them it was about being a really moral person. Yep, exactly. It was about really earning God's favor. Yeah, they, they would give lip service to salvation by grace through faith, but in reality they hadn't been born again. So they were trying to earn their own salvation, and others of them, they were just go-getters, and anything they got into— they were going to be the best at it. So oh, I'm in the Christian circle. Now. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be the best preacher. I'm going to. It wasn't, man. I'm a wretched sinner saved by grace. I love the Lord God. I'll do whatever. And then you see it. They go into the world, and again, they're going to be the best at this, the best at that, and just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, you make a really good point because you know, look at the story of the prodigal son. We often think of the prodigal son as the one who left, but according to Jesus, the prodigal son was also or actually the one who stayed. Because remember, he's telling this story to his believers, but right around the corner are the onlookers of the Pharisees. They had challenged him and asked a question. So he has a conversation with the Pharisees, then he launches into these stories, and then he has a conversation with the Pharisees, which means these stories are meant for the Pharisees. So he tells them, 
here's this one son who left to try to do do it his way. He took my inheritance to try to live his way. And as he comes back to the father, he looks for forgiveness and reconciliation. But then the story ends dramatically with the older brother still outside, right? Because he didn't want to come into the house to join the party. He stayed outside. And when the father comes out of the house, just like he came out of the house for the younger brother, he comes out of the house for the older brother, trying to woo him and invite him. And he's mad. He's furious. Why was he mad? He was furious because, as it turns out, he lost a bit of his inheritance. So the younger brother, by leaving and taking half, means when he comes back, he's now going to get another half which takes away from the older brother. And that tells the listener, you older brother have been sitting here doing what the father asks you to do, but you didn't do it for the love of the father. You did it for the love of the inheritance. And then the story dramatically ends with the audience not knowing what the older brother is going to do. And you have to imagine Jesus sort of looking over at his shoulder at the Pharisees, like you spent your entire lives trying to obey the law not because of your love for the Father, but because what you wanted from Him, power, inheritance, praise, all of those things. And now it's time to repent of that. Mark, I think a lot of false converts come from Christian homes with little kids because their parents have pressured them into becoming a Christian and saying the prayer. Speak to that. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, a $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Yeah, that, that speaks to easy believism as well. But let me touch upon something that carries over into the midst of this, and that is a lot of kids can live underneath parents who aren't truly living the Christian life, right? They see the way their parents are in public around other people, but then at home, you know, they're filled with wrath and anger and angst. They're filled with really the fruit of the world, and they put on this facade, and the kids see right through it. And because the kids see right through it, well, then they become like their parents when they go on out. And we have told our kids that as long as you repeat this prayer after me and you're sincere, Christ will see it and you get to go to heaven, right? But there is no sinner's prayer uh, found inside the Bible. You know, the closest thing you'd see is if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved, right? Let Christ dwell in your hearts richly. And we begin to kind of convolute these scriptures uh, to mean that very thing. And Charles Finney, he uh, came up with those coinages, you know, when he was alive at the turn of the last century. But we, we need to be careful with this easy believism because there is a call to lay down your life. It's not an invitation. It's a declaration. You must repent. And if you don't repent, you will perish. It is a complete surrender of the mind, the emotions, and the will. It is, I am all in no matter where you take me. 
I love that analogy where they train federal agents to recognize counterfeit money by showing them the real thing. When they study the real thing, then they recognize the false. And when we study scripture, it gives us the things that accompany salvation. There should be certain things that are evident. And the Bible speaks of fruit, the fruit of righteousness, fruit of praise, fruit of thanksgiving, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of repentance, etc. So if those fruits aren't there, Scripture warns every tree that brings not forth good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. So it's very important to examine ourselves and say if we're in the faith. And if someone you know of that calls himself a Christian, but they're not living in righteousness, they're doing things that are morally wrong, we need to challenge them to examine themselves and see if they're in faith. Let me just share something interesting. I'm wearing glasses at the moment. When I got these in the mid-90s, uh, they're made of titanium, which means you can just twist them and bend them and they don't break. You bend them at 90 degree angles. But the instructions that came with them it just said these glasses are made of titanium. They'll always retain their integrity. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, great choice of words. You go like that and it goes back to where it was. And that's what the Christian is. He always, and she, always retain integrity. We know the standard God requires. We've got a conscience that's void of offense towards God, and it keeps us on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And the reason why is not anything of our own doing, but because God promises that he who begins a good work in us is faithful to see that to completion. And that's where that integrity comes from. It comes from the work of God in our lives. Uh, as you guys were talking about false conversion, it reminded me of the story that Mark Dever said one time in a sermon about false conversion. And, and he quotes Langston Hughes, who's a poet, an American poet. And so here's Langston Hughes writing about his, I'm using air quotes, his moment of salvation. And he's, of course, a false convert. So he says, Wesley, that's a friend of his, and I were surrounded by sisters and deacons praying. It was very hot in the church and getting late now. Finally, Wesley said to me in a whisper, I'm tired of sitting here. Let's get up and be saved. So he got up and was saved. Then I was left all alone on the mourner's bench. My aunt came and knelt at my knees and cried while prayers and songs swirled all around me in the little church. The whole congregation prayed for me alone in a mighty wail of moans and voices. I kept waiting serenely for Jesus, waiting, waiting, but he didn't come. I wanted to see him, but nothing happened to me, nothing. I wanted something to happen to me, but nothing happened. God had not struck Wesley dead for taking his name in vain or for lying in the temple. So I decided that maybe to save further trouble, I'd better lie too and say that Jesus had come and I got up to be saved. So I got up. Suddenly the whole room broke into a sea of shouting. As they saw me rise, waves of rejoicing swept the place. Women leaped in the air. And Mark Dever, quoting this, says, I fear that this pattern is the pattern found in thousands, if not millions, of false converts around the world. Wow, that was really powerful. pause that you hear when someone makes a decision is sickening. Just wait for the fruit. You've stopped people applauding, Ray, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I just uh, hate it. What do you say? You say something. Just stop applauding. We're at a church and people came forward to give their hearts to Jesus or whatever it was. was People were responding and hopefully they were responding right. And other people were clapping and Ray told them to stop clapping. He says, I don't applaud when I plant a fruit tree. I applaud when the fruit tree brings forth fruit. Why don't we save our applause until they start bearing fruit worthy of repentance? What did I say, Mark? (laughs) There's a stack of things that you want to stop within the local church. I mean, you get up to, you finish a sermon and you think, I'm going to challenge people to get right with the Lord. And the second you say, 
I want you to get right. Suddenly the piano starts playing behind you, see? <laughs> and I've had to say, I can't think straight with a music playing. Could you just hold off for a minute? Because I really can't. I don't I'm playing wow. a piano when I'm speaking to people's consciences. And so there's just these traditions. We, we mock the, the Pharisees' traditions and yet cling to our own. So now this is the way we do it. We have music at the altar call and, you know, et cetera. Yeah. We need to go back to Scripture because I know some people listening are saying, in a sense, well, what's God's word say? Really? There's such thing as a false conversion? I thought once saved, always saved. I love what you say, Ray. If saved, always saved. I don't think that's original. original. Wow. <laughs> Plagiarist. Uh, Ragerist. But really, if saved, always saved. It's so true. Of course, we believe in, in eternal security, but it's possible for someone to never have been saved. And these are the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of God in heaven. And then listen, he's not talking about something theoretical, but something that will happen. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These were like top-rank type people who were doing massive things. They were from the outside morally right. Yeah. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, and here's the key, practice lawlessness. So Jesus is making it clear there's going to be a whole bunch of people who are going to stand in front of him on the day of judgment and call him Lord, master of my life. I mean, that's an intimate term, my Lord. And he's going to say to them, I never, it's not that you didn't know me. I never even knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's, I can't think of anything more terrifying than having lived your whole life thinking you were right with God and then to die and stand before him and hear him say those words, I never knew you, and then you're cast in the outer We're talking about getting rid of um, uh, traditions, and that I saw this quote from Albert Einstein. He said, if one purges Christianity as Jesus taught it of all subsequent additions, especially those of the priests, one is left with a teaching which is capable of curing all the social ills of humanity. There's a very real possibility that there are people listening right now, one who is soundly saved but asking themselves, how do I know that I'm not a false convert. And another who might be a false convert asking themselves, how can I know if I'm a false convert? What would you say to someone just asking themselves, thinking introspectively right now based off of everything that we've been talking about? What would well, you say to them? Let me touch upon a little bit of that. Maybe somebody else would like to do the, the latter part. Uh, there's, a, there's a great book. You know, if you're a reader, John MacArthur wrote a book back in 1990, I think it is, Saved Without a Doubt. And he gives, and I briefly touched upon it earlier in this episode, but there's a litmus test that one can give themselves to see if they are a Christian. And this is scriptural, right? We are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Make your calling and your election sure. As Ray says, it's better to examine yourself now than on that day of judgment when you hear those fearful, frightful words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And it's simply this. This is what John MacArthur pulls out. He says, do you legitimately and genuinely have a desire and a hunger to read God's word? Or would you rather read man's word? Would you rather sit in front of the television rather than go get alone and meditate through the scriptures? So the reading of God's word, do you want to read God's word? Next, do you say, hey, do, do I want the word of God to go through me? 
to search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm an open book. You have permission to do whatever you want to do with the Word of God. I have no secret compartment. There's no skeletons in the closet. So the one is the Word of God, a hunger for the Word of God. Uh, next is a desire to pray. Do you want to fellowship with God, not just with Him talking to us through the Word, but you talking to Him, and then it is a delight to pray. I will delightfully pray and commune with God in this area. Do you experience answers to prayers? Are your prayer requests all prayer requests and no praise reports? Do you not recognize that God's hand is on you delivering promises that are all yes and amen? Next is, do you hate the things that God once, uh, that, that, do you hate the things that you once loved? Fornication and lying and stealing and cheating and conniving and making my way up the corporate ladder at any means possible. I hate these things. I hate workers of iniquity. Scripture tells us. Now, do I love the things that I once hated? Right? What, 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 did, what did I once hate? I hated fellowship. I hated uh, the congregation of God's people. I hated going to church. I hated righteousness. And so when you begin to put these things together, it forms a more total picture. Now, there's works in progress, and I'm not referring to that. There's sanctification. We are sanctified. We are set apart, and we're also continually being sanctified as we are uh, being changed from glory to glory, as we learn precept upon precept. We are moving forward. And one author wrote, hey, we may be taking one step back, but we're taking two steps forward. So there's that progress. Yeah, I love that, man. The only two things that I would add is, first and foremost, you should have a better understanding of your sanctification process through the local church. God has made it so that he wants us to be known, not just attendance, but known. Does your pastor, do the elders, if your church have elders, do the people who are committed to your local church know you? Is it a place where you go and you confess sins and they know what's going on in your life, not just show up on Sunday and bounce, right? You have to be known because that is where you can be affirmed in the faith. And then secondly, to add to the list, what, because being a Soundly saved Christian doesn't mean that we don't sin. It's not like sin is totally out of our lives. What do you do when your sin is revealed to you? How do you respond to that? Do you respond in repentance and prayer? Or do you respond in excuse making and hiding? Are you constantly repetitiously repeating the same sins? Or are you seeking to put them to death? How do you respond when sin is revealed in your life? You know, Todd Friel... To that point, he says, we need to allow, do our kids know that we are the biggest sinners in the house? And what he means by that is we're continually, when we blow it, when we fall on our face, when we eat crow, we need to be able to go back to the kids and say, I blew it. I had a harsh word with mom. I didn't do this right. Will you forgive me? So a parent is continually walking in forgiveness, receiving that forgiveness, and our kids are going, my parents are not perfect. Yeah. They recognize this, and they are humble when I approach them yeah. and point it out. Again, the operative word in Matthew 7 is practice lawlessness. First John makes it clear that if the seed of God abides in you, you cannot sin, which carries with it the idea of practicing sin, living habitually in sin, unrepentant, or to a point where you never, when you're confronted about it, end up repenting, or from God's conviction, end up repenting. I mean, look, Peter who is perceived to be a pillar of the church, the leader of the early church in a sense. I mean, you look at Galatians 2. Paul withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He was not, it says he was not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Whoa, I mean, how egregious is that? 
And, and, you know, and Barnabas was even carried away with their hypocrisy, it says. And so, of course, the sinner can sin. But like you said, they're going to respond in a certain way. Next, their remorse is going to be vertical rather than horizontal. Because we can all regret doing something violating our own standard or feeling bad or... Yeah. But but it becomes it becomes vertical. I've sinned against God. Yeah, Psalm fifty one: Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is unrighteous. Right. I, I've sinned against God. I've dishonored Him. You're grieved over your sin. And I think another telltale sign of a real believer is you're never really comfortable in your sin. You're always being chased by the hound of heaven. The Spirit is constantly convicting you and. You can look in your life and you can see, even though there may be those occasions where you struggle, the overall consistency of your life is going to demonstrate you love God, you hate sin, and you walk in obedience to Him. I mean, here are a few other verses. First John 1, 5 through 6. This is a message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. First John 2, 3 through 4. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, walking in the light, obeying God's commandments. Titus 1, 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. And so it's evident when someone doesn't know the Lord because it'll be manifest in how they live. And typically the person I'm concerned about is not the person who is almost in tears, am I saved? Am I saved? It's a person who's justifying themselves while they're living in rebellion against God. I would say a part of that too is when you come face to face with your sin, to not take a position of like, oh, I've fallen off a ladder that I need to climb back up. Rather, to recognize that you've fallen, but you've fallen into a bit of grace. Because if grace doesn't fuel and motivate you forward, then you'll, you'll end up back into a place of legalism and trying to earn your salvation. I'm really glad that you brought up Paul's confrontation with Peter because, easy, I need to confront you that baklava is better than tabbouleh. Oh, you're not getting any baklava this time around. Hey, Ray, you have often said that you've seen sometimes the people that are most uh, outwardly loud about the faith, right? The guy with, with his unbuttoned shirt and the big cross and the stickers. Speak to that. Why, why is that a dynamic sometimes? Uh, I think it's important to realize the parable of the soul that Jesus gave He said, some falls on stony ground, and what happens is the goodness doesn't go into the root because it's got no depth of root. So the goodness goes up into the leaves and branches, but there's no fruit. And so you get these flash-in-the-pan conversions where I was a drug addict. I murdered my grandmother eight times, and now I became a Christian. I've got joy and peace, blah, blah. And he's wearing that open-button shirt with a big wooden cross the size of a boat. He lacks the humility that should be there, the peace and the love and the joy and all the fruits of the Spirit. He's just a loud mouth, and they're the ones that do great damage to the cause of the gospel. But I I think some important things to touch on is sometimes a stumbling block with people who say, I just don't know if I'm saved, is the simplicity of faith, childlike faith. If you are a Christian, you believe God's word, you don't doubt his word. And if you doubt his word and get into Doubting Castle, as happened with the um, in Pilgrim's Progress, you'll find in Doubting Castle is giant despair and he will torment you. And so you've got to get back on the straight and narrow and say, I trust God's word. He's not a liar. And if he says, whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, I believe that I trust it. The other thing, too, about being a Christian is you've got a good conscience void of offense towards God. We take 
the miracle of conscience for granted, but within us is an intuitive knowledge of right and wrong. We have a judge on the courtroom of the mind that irrespective of our own will tells us if we've done something wrong, tells us if we've done something right, accusing or excusing one another. That's a miracle. It's, I mean, where did that come from in evolution? Why would it happen? And it's because we're made in God's image and God has put his law upon our heart, the work of the law written in our heart. And that that's something that a Christian will listen to yeah. and be guided by and he will have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. And if you don't have that, it's probably because you lack the fear of the Lord. And if you lack the fear of the Lord, it's because you've never seen his justice and his holiness and you need to go back and study what sin is and how much we've sinned against him. And you know, we don't want people listening right now to become undone at the thought of, oh, maybe I'm not saved. I mean, Scripture is clear. First John says, uh, and this is a testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has a life. He who does not have the Son does not have it. And the gospel is simple. And if you look into your life and you, you say, I believe Jesus died and rose again, I want to honor and please the Lord. And if you can look into your life and you see that you're not living an intentional hypocrisy, there isn't a habitual pattern of rebellion against God and sin, then be at rest in the Lord and, and celebrate the salvation that he's given you. If you're a false convert, it will be manifested. So don't focus on that. But if, yeah, you do see a pattern of habitual sin in your life, if you don't see a hunger for the word, if you don't see a desire to, to seek after God, yeah, you do need to examine. You need to see if you're in the faith and there's hope in the gospel. So in either case, there's hope. Don't be disheartened. I just want to say something to what Mark said. Mark was so thorough and 100% correct. But for those who are tender, kind of like me, Sure, we have a hunger and a love for God's Word, but the reading of the Word of God comes back to discipline for me. Yeah. Sometimes I don't feel like doing it. Sometimes I don't feel like praying, but I pray anyway. love to talk to God, but sometimes my mind wanders. Sometimes, it's, you know, I just have a continual battle. And I love Scripture where it says we don't know how we ought to pray and the Holy Spirit helps yeah. us. And many a time I come and start my prayer with a moan. Lord, I, I really don't know what to pray. The world's in a horrible mess. I'm a sinner at heart. Thank you for the cross. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and away we go. But it all comes back to a discipline and that discipline is there because I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm not my own. I've cried, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. And I've touched on it before. You know, that's why I love what James says. It Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So sometimes we don't have those emotions and desires and excitement. But if we're born again, we will press in and press on. And of course, we'll taste the sweetness of that on occasion as the Lord allows. And sometimes we go into seasons of richness and sweetness, but sometimes there's there's valleys and then there's mountaintops, you know? You know, one of the other things that uh, John MacArthur's book mentions about like a list of, of just recognizing your salvation is if you're the kind of person that leaves five-star reviews on podcasts that you listen to. <laughs> you're definitely <laughs> born again. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. But Easy talks about this often, so I figured I'd take... I take the lead on this one this time. If you guys are listening and you love this podcast and the Lord is using it to encourage you uh, and to empower you to proclaim the gospel, we, we're so glad. That's the reason why we do it. And we ask that you would uh, perhaps take a moment to leave a review, uh, a five-star review if you see fit. That's gonna help us tremendously reach more people, potentially reach false converts in the lost with the truths that we're speaking in this podcast. So we really appreciate it if you took a moment and left us a review. Yeah, absolutely. And make sure to check out livingwaters.com. Uh, that's where you can get a hold of resources like the Evidence Bible, 
that uh, has gone out to tens of thousands of people all over the world and that is packed full of information that's going to edify you, build you up, and stir you up to share the gospel. That's what this is all about, getting out there and reaching the lost with the gospel. So check that out. Check out our videos. Check out our gospel tracts. We are here to equip you, and we're here to arm you with all that you need to be an effective witness for Jesus so that you can preach the gospel to false converts out there and reach them for the glory of God. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on the Living Waters Podcast. I've never won anything in my life. Well, some of you can no longer say that, friends. Here are the winners for the Living Waters podcast giveaway. Carrie from Hobart, Oklahoma. Bryce from Huntington, Indiana. Kenneth from Redding, California. Jamie from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Heather from Ashland, Ohio. Will from Norfolk, Nebraska. Gabrielle from Bristol, Connecticut. Marcy from Liverpool, New York. Dylan from Kadena, Australia. And Jobelin from Newmarket, Canada. How boot that A. We love you guys. Keep listening to the Living Waters Podcast.